0: Welcome to another edition of Let's Talk Vets. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. This is where we discuss vet-centric topics, the good, the bad, and the ugly, in the hope that listeners will better understand our veterans, our veterans will know they're not alone, and perhaps along the way we'll learn something about each other. We sincerely hope we accomplish that mission. The opinions expressed herein are mine alone as a veteran. So our first broadcast was August 8, 2018, if you can believe that. I had participated in Veterans Day programs on another radio station for two years and had proposed a monthly feature focused on veterans. Well, station management decided it did not fit their format. And I politely reminded them, but for veterans, they might not have a format to worry about fitting. Anyway, fast forward to tonight. I uh, then responded to a call for volunteers at a small public radio station, WJFF, in Jeffersonville, and I took on a Thursday morning board shift and eventually proposed Let's Talk Vets to the station management. And in a moment of weakness and arguably poor judgment, they said, "Okay. Well, tonight, Marks our 96th production of Let's Talk Vets, as you have come to know it. Let's Talk Vets is taking a summer break in July and August. And when we return, we'll have a brand new format. We'll be on every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. as part of local news talk show Radio Chatskill. And we'll showcase more community news and information And, of course, that includes more veterans news and information and perhaps some interviews and other notes of interest. So join me every Wednesday at 10 a.m. for Radio Chatskill. I'll see you in September. Well, tonight, as usual, we have a full dance card. On our June 14th program, we visited a good friend who was a guest on our second broadcast in August of 2018, John Golina, co-founder of Purple Heart Homes at Statesville, North Carolina. John and his battle buddy, Dale Beatty, served together in Iraq and suffered life-changing injuries during their combat there. Returning home to Statesville, North Carolina, the community provided a warm welcome and celebrated their return. Now, John had sustained the invisible wounds of war while Dale had lost both legs. Reintegration, to say the least, presented multiple challenges for both of them, and it became obvious that Dale couldn't live comfortably in the home he left behind to go to war. Well, his buddy John rallied the troops the community, so to speak, to make the necessary modifications to Dale's home. And this act of kindness proved to be the genesis of Purple Heart Homes, which has now completed 1116 projects, is active in 48 continental U.S. states and Puerto Rico. The work has served 1197 veterans and by extension 4,883 family and community members. Tonight, we'll focus on another key member of Purple Heart Homes, Vietnam vet Eugene Parada, who is executive director of Downstate New York Operations. Welcome aboard, Gene. Thanks for joining us on Radio Catskills. Let's talk vets. And you're a veteran, correct?
1: Vietnam veteran.
2: When and where did you serve?
1: I was drafted October 1966. And I went to Vietnam and came home in october nineteen sixty eight I was actually ajur pet it was my birthday <laughs> I turned twenty one during that wow. uh, infamous uh Tet offensive uh, A lot about that yeah. being said and done again i'm I'm reading and hearing a lot of different stories and uh especially now that uh, Daniel Ellsberg has died. And he was the author of the Pentagon Papers, and he revealed a lot of uh, how would I put it? I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was foul play, but there was certainly some gray area in how the upper management of our military really mishandled the whole war. There's a new tome out. I guess it's it's called Vietnam Visited, and and I started to just go over it, and exactly the way. A lot of us feel, you know what? It's been 55 years. People never, never understand it the way we understood it. So, you know, just carry the ball. There's no way I could go back and change everybody's minds. I, I really carried that grudge for a long time, the lost war. We lost the war. We didn't lose the war. We never lost anything over company engagement. Never. Never. Right. And it just, that's the way it came out. Anyway, mishandled the government, the military. And from there, I came home. Uh, a little wounded,
2: but I'm I'm all in one piece. Thank God. Okay, well that's that's great to hear. It's hard to believe that the government didn't handle something right, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I, wow. I, I
1: actually, that that is quite. You know, and I'm trying to think back over fifty-five. Being on fifty-five years in October, fifty-five years of return, and I'm trying to think how many times the government has mishandled really big situations. And there have been only a few times I can remember where I can actually get up every day and say, man, I'm not worried about it. This guy is running the country just the way it should be. But-
2: you went on to uh, give back. Uh, you joined an organization which was uh, actually my second broadcast in 2018. It was with uh, Mr. John Galena, co-founder of Purple Heart Homes. Correct. And uh, his co-founder, his battle buddy there, Dale Beatty, had just passed. Correct. Uh, before that. And so what year did they start? both got wounded in 2004 in Iraq. And then
1: they were separated. John had a his tour. He was really a, a messed up. He had what's called the Invisible Wounds, and he was getting all that. And Dale was back in Walter Reed. When John came back, Dale was really having a hard time getting along in the community. I mean... You know, he, he had just lost both legs, and he was trying to get around. And the, the Wounded Warriors wasn't really out there yet. Uh, there was no Tunnel to Towers thing. What there was was the VA and whatever they could do for you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, John and a few of the people in the community, Statesville, came together and saw that Dale really needed some help. John was a construction guy. He had some knowledge of construct and how to do all this. In fact, Dale pulled him out of a construction job to go with him uh, in the National Guard Battalion to Iraq. And what he did was he gathered the uh, troops around him, so to speak, you know, in Statesville, and got Dale. They got him a ramp. They built bathrooms. They built, you know, they make it easier for a person to survive with no legs. When Dale saw this, he was overcome with um, emotion. And the two of them sat down and planned this uh Outfit called Purple Hot Arms. So, a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. So, along about 2008, I'm going to say this is where they actually first did their first project. And then with that, I moved from the Bronx and I moved up to this little village called Croton on the Hudson. And I'm sitting out uh, here and I'm thinking, what am I going to do with my time? And effort? I was in construction and I was in a restaurant business in construction for 40 years and now I'm. You know, I'm a little banged up, and I'm up here on road and I joined the VA up here in Montrose, and I become the veterans advocate, and we start veterans, and get housing for people, and go to Washington, battle with Jay Johnson, some housing problems here, and I get noticed by a guy named Greg Ball here in the 40th State Senate District, and he asked me to become his uh, veterans affairs representative, and now, you know, I'm 100% disabled. I really can't take a lot of money, and I said, you know what, I'll do this. And I didn't take a nickel like for eleven years. And I went to work with him, and I. And one day of 2013, we get a phone call from a woman named Vicki Thomas, who actually had heard about us, and and, and the boys John and Dale had heard about this state senator in New York, who is who was very big on veterans' rights and uh, disabilities, and what you could how you could help them, and every event we participated in. You know, I, I had to be there and explain what it is we do and how we're gonna help veterans. And they must have noticed and we get the phone call that these people wanna come and see us. And so John and Dale got in an old jeep and drove right about twelve hours and we're in a we're in a meeting in Bruce, uh, southeast, in our office, and we're explaining and they're explaining to us what to do and this woman V Thomas, she was one of the few people who was in the big media game in New York City. She was very large in that ABC. She knew how all this worked and how to get the word out, how to message out. She was really good at that. So she came with them and and this is where the fate intervenes or God sends you know, the thunderbolt down. A phone call comes in as we're in this office talking and one of Greg Ball's assistants takes a phone call about uh, from this woman what can you do there's a veteran here who lives next door to us the house is in shambles so it looks like a rat you don't know what's going on he he doesn't look really healthy he's got dogs this and that greg ball says all right gene let's go up and see what it's about we drive up there and i look at this place and there's this hundred year old house it was built like in 1912 or something surrounded by sugar maple trees and we go in there and we look at this, and it was a mess. It looked like something out of you know crime story, you know
2: it was like a film noir. It, I'm so, just wondering I'm just wondering if this was the because part of that interview was Vicki Thomas, and she was working on a Vietnam veteran's' house. Could uh, they up, did, you that, did, up in that area? Did you
1: do an interview with her?
2: Yes. That was yeah. part of the interview. I did an interview with All her. Right. I did an interview with John.
1: So he's a Vietnam veteran. We get there. He's living there with three dogs, and he's got a, a tenant living upstairs. And now he's living there by himself. And everything is in the original form. The rug, the 20 the furniture. You know, he's got a TV uh, with an antenna. And we walk in, and I'm walking up the stairs. As I'm walking up the stairs, I hit the top, and my leg goes through it. Well, we extricate everything and I knock on the door, he answers the door. We walk in and we're walking around the house. And after we spray the house, we walk back outside. I said to Bobby, get the Schmidt brothers There's an excavation for the we know up there and just bulldoze it. You know what I'm saying? Just bulldoze the house. If We want to help this guy. Let's start from brick one and build it up. So Bobby says, no, no, no. He said, I gotta see something. He goes inside, he goes downstairs and he sees the foundation, and this is true. All those sugar maple trees that were outside, my father built that house with sugar maple base foundation. They were about 16 inches around each one. They were huge, and they were all down in the basement holding this, this place wouldn't go off with a nuclear bomb. So Bobby says, no, 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 we could do this. And we went back and we explained what we saw and what we wanted to do, and it took about six and a half months. This project cost about one hundred forty thousand, plus he had a tax problem that he didn't know about, which we actually put in his escrow. He paid off his tax debt, and he paid it back eventually over five years. But that project was one hundred forty thousand, probably in construction, and probably about fourteen, fifteen thousand in tax abatement that they had. So wow. we did we did that, and it was like, it was a revelation to me. This poor guy had been in Vietnam. 36 days. He gets to Vietnam, and his first sergeant is taking him out, showing him what he's going to do, and the first sergeant blowing up right in front of this guy, and this guy gets blown down, and he's in a hole. So he was there 35 days, and they took him out, and after I read his record, I knew he had some problems. You're sitting there in, in 12,000 miles away from home, and you're in some ditch thinking this is the end. The whole person in front of you just almost disappears completely. in a, in a mass of blood and bone and whatever. And this kid is, he's a kid. He's a kid, he's 20, 20 years old. I mean, I was 20 when I first got there. And he was just a mess from the time to when we got there and John and Dale and the people at Purple Heart Homes in Statesville came up, we joined forces with Greg Ball who was the driving force behind that project garnered all of the communities together, the sheriffs, the county execs, and put everybody together and we worked it out and there was a few glitches but it went well. And after that when we celebrated, we did a parade two guys from Statesville, this kid from the Bronx me and Galena you know, who's, the running joke was well, you're in North Carolina. He goes, yeah I said, no, that's witness protection and the next day we did the big parade and they said, we need you to step up and become the executive director for Purple Heart Homes in in New York. And I was like, that's, sort of
2: flip. That's how it all, all began. And that's how it all began. And you guys have done, you've done new homes. You've done uh, retrofits like you just described. And I mean, some fairly simple, I would imagine, as uh, putting a ramp up and then some having to deal with what you just described, which is... Some major consuming. issues in, other, in others, yes. Yeah. Correct. How many uh, projects, how many have you done since you joined? No, we, no new homes. See, that's why... No new I, homes. Okay. I, right. Because we fit into that. We're
1: between Wounded Warriors and, and Tunnels and Towers and all these other... They do all of this new homes. They put that in there. We're in sort of that one little area where people forget the disabled veteran who's... A small income, it's not going to make him rich, but he can't afford to do this. So, w- with us, it's a hand up instead of a hand yeah. out. And that was where we fit in. So, I've done probably around 17, 18 projects. And I'm going to divide them into the ones that we actually physically did something, and the others where I facilitated somebody to come along and do something uh, because we actually have to help the veteran. And in some cases, a veteran, like a World War II veteran, dies, and his wife, his, his spouse, is living there, and she's ninety, ninety-one, and she can't get along. She can't do this, and the husband's gone, and now what does she do? But what I've done is I've gotten with other community groups, and we've got ramps for a, a, a elderly woman whose husband was a World War II hero. I've done that a couple of times, and probably we've done maybe. Probably around 14, 15 projects you want to consider. And so I've facilitated a few others. But we've done that probably to the tune of somewhere around $330,000 in wow. uh, porches, ramps. And in one project, we got a guy donate 18 hung windows from a company. And and the guy that that I, I went to, I, I asked to be on my board right away. He's a friend of mine. is uh, Mark Franzosa. So there are some projects that, that were so emotional and, and moving. One of the smaller ones I did is the one that gets me the most. I'm in Hyde Park up in upstate New York, not far from the Roosevelt home. I, I get a phone call from a, a fireman in the town of Fairview. And he says to me, "Some am O'Connor. I'm with the Fairview Fire Department. We have a problem with this person who's mentally can't get out. We need somebody to ramp. He's stuck in his house. He's in bed, and he's, I said, I'll be right up. We go see this person and we meet, and we go to the house. The guy's laying in bed, and he's in his living room. Was a Purple Heart recipient, army guy, in the Battle of the Bulge, in the the coldest winter on record in Germany, and his daughter is there. He gets hit, and he's laying on the ground, and he's dying. And the Germans had just taken the hill, and they were coming up, and they were going to kill him. And the German captain goes to shoot him in. One of his subordinates say, what are you wasting the bullet for? He's going to say, anyway, it's 13 below zero. He's dead. He's bleeding out. And they leave and they go. Half an hour later, the Americans retake the hill, have the Germans captured. They make take off their coat. The captain says, why is this guy not dead? He's supposed to die. He's 20 below zero. And the American medical team said, because his blood froze. He almost died of hypothermia, but he didn't. But the blood flow, so he didn't bleed out. So they take him, and he recovers. Goes on to live. He had a great life up in the Gipsy. He was a mailman. He worked. And his daughter shows me, she shows me a picture of Donald and his buddy. The night before he leaves for Europe, he's in Washington, D.C., and he's with these two women. They're at a table having drinks in some ballroom. And she said, do you notice anything different? Now, I'm saying to myself, well, it's probably 72 years old. So it was like 2018 we did this. So it looks a little faded. She goes, no, look. And at the top of the the binder, where it's only, you know, cardboard, there's a hole. I said, yeah, it looks like a burn mark. She said, no. Carried that with him, and he always put it in the side of his pants, because he used to show everybody where he was the night before and the girl he was with. When the bullet enters his abdomen, it goes through that booklet out through his canteen. So he shows me the thing, and I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at this guy. And he said to me, so are you going to help me or not? He started laughing. And I looked at him and I'm saying, oh, my God, if I don't do this, I'm going straight to hell. You know, I, for years, I used to think of myself as a tough guy. I'm a bronze guy. If you didn't fight for it, you didn't get it. You know what I'm saying? You bring it on. I could take anybody and anything, blah, blah, blah. We did this. We came up there in Fairview Fire Department, which is both professional and volunteer. The people from Home Depot, right across from Marist College came, three guys from the, the pro department. All right, and an outfit called Team Rubicon. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They're a disaster relief. Yeah. Yep. So they, yep. they show up with a couple of ex-military people. And in two days, we built a, a, a little porch landing area and al shaped 40-foot ramp because you have to do it by code. And we had to make a turn because you couldn't go straight out. For the first time in seven months, he comes out into the sunlight. We roll him down the ramp in his wheelchair. And he's there. he said, "And I said, just tell me what you think of this and then he looks at me and he says, this just goes to show you the goodness of America. And he said, thank you so much. And as he's talking to me, I had to cut it. You know why I had to cut it right from there? Because I'm crying like a six-year-old kid who just learned he can't go out to play in the afternoon. I'm in tears. Tears are rolling down my eyes. And we cut the video from there. And I said to myself, wow, if there was ever a time I mean, I've done this before, and it happened again to me a couple of years later, right here in my own hometown. A bathtub for a guy who was 86, 87, and couldn't get over the 18 inches to get into his tub. We did a whole new bathroom for him, and I said, "Wow, you don't need money. You don't need to be compensated. Compensation comes in the gratitude and the love." I'm serious about this, and I'm not one of those guys. I'm not a you feel. You know what I'm saying, yep, and and you could feel it as the words are coming to you. You could feel the warmth and the love. And I turned to myself. I said, "Wow, this is my stairway to heaven.
2: There's no other way. This is the best. I, I can't describe the feeling on how it's been able to do this. What a remarkable thing that you, that you guys are doing. And there's and there's so many NGOs out there. The biggest problem that I found is there's no central place for anybody to go to find out where they are and who they are. It's all kind of word of mouth.
1: I was thinking of that, how I could just thought this facilitation sort of program or initiative where people can just, all right, let's call this guy. Oh yeah. I know where to go. You, and, and, and listen, there are two parts to this whole story. You, you have to help the veteran. That's number one. You have to help that person get to a place where they're secure and they're comfortable. But we had, our chapter had something a little bit different than the rest of the, uh, the, the chapters. We had a person that was actually a social worker and worked for the psychosocial rehab and recovery program in, in Montrose, which was, as you know, the iconic, you know, shell shock back when, that's, where, that's what it was built for, for people coming back mm-hmm. more. So I actually saw it there in a program, that's how it started, and I had a woman who worked, and ran that program, who joined my board, who really became a good friend of mine. And when we would ever, we would go to any project, if there was a caregiver there or the spouse of, or children, whoever was really taking care of or charged with making sure this veteran was living comfortably, that person had to be tended to also. You can't mm-hmm. you can't do one and not the other, it won't work. Right. You have to get them both together. And that's what we did. Caregivers are very important. Oh, God. Sometimes the most important. I'm 76. How many times I'm looking for things I forgot? My wife will say, it's over here, it's over there, that, you know, and then do this without them to help me get around, sit me down, get this, get that. No, you need to have a caregiver. Don't ever look at yourself as a victim, really. Don't ever look at yourself, and I don't ever think anybody owes me anything. All right? We are granted by God the, the right, the benefit of living in this country. Sometimes you have to do things you don't want to do. I mean, do you think in 1966 in, in, in the summer of love and free love and all of this, you know, you know, girls and that I really wanted to go into the service? No, <laughs> no. I, you know, I was at University of Miami. I was playing ball. I got hurt and I was off on a rehab and I really didn't rehab well and and one thing led to another. The next thing you know, I'm drafted and the next thing you know, I'm going to Vietnam. That's just the way it is. And that's the problem I have right now, right today. I don't know how they're ever gonna turn it around, but you can see now the folly of not having some kind of draft. There's gotta be some form of service. There's not one kid today because the military recruitment is so far below average. I don't it's all well, it's ridiculous. not one of these – I'm calling them children. In the last 50, what, 50 years since they went to the lottery and then stopped the draft and all that, not one of these kids have a stake in this country. There's no stake. I mean, there are a few. I shouldn't say that. There are some some children who grow into adults that really feel this patriotic – this sense of uh, patriotism, we should help. But a lot of them don't. There's no similar stake in this. I mean, as a veteran, I didn't join – but after I came out, I went through years and years of turbulence. And believe me when I tell you, it was not easy on uh, my first wife, who's since gone. And, and my second wife, who's been living together 40 years, 41 years. It's You need to have this sense of, you know what? I live here. I'm living in this beautiful land. I can do go anywhere I want. I drive a nice car. I have a little place in Florida. I get to see these people. I get to talk to these people. The way we live is completely foreign to the people in the rest of the world. That's why they're trying to death defying stunts and and things to get to this country. That's the reason. So by not doing that, by not giving the kids that are coming up after us the chance to get a stake in this country, say, yeah, I'm I'm an American. This is what I do. This is what
2: we do. Okay, Gene Parada. You have a great day, and thank you for the work you're doing for our vets and for Purple Heart Homes, and thanks for joining us on Radio Catskills Let's Talk Vets.
1: I appreciate the time, and uh, Purple Heart Homes New York Downstate chapter is still here if anybody needs any help or needs any advice or any counseling on where to go, what to do.
2: Why don't you give folks the, the number that you would like to be contacted on if they need to call you?
1: Okay, uh, it's the cell phone number I'm on now, 646-296-8882. Again, 646-296-8882. I'm Eugene Parada, I'm Executive Director of Purple Heart Homes, New York, now State Chapter. And uh, one last thing, I, you can't do this without help or volunteers. Mark Franzoso, who's the guy I work with, or who I asked to be part of this, is a large, large part of this. Civilian, never served, but is very generous and his time with veterans. You need people like that. That's the key. You need people that are willing to donate and give of themselves. So I'm gonna leave it folks want to, if folks wanna get a little background, what's the website, Purple Heart Homes? purple homes and you could just look it up and it'll show you the new york chapter there'd be a colorado chapter There'll be a north carolina chapter so you could just do that and, and the whole the purple Heart homes website is just what it says shout out to all the veterans especially the vietnam guys welcome back all right so all i got to say
0: You're listening to Let's Talk Vets on Radio Catskill. We'll return in a moment. And we're back with more Let's Talk Vets on Radio Catskill. Well, here now is Don Shaw, Director of the Hudson Valley VA Healthcare System with the latest news from the VA.
3: So hello. Before I get to some exciting news about a new program we just launched at VA Hudson Valley, I want to tell you about an exciting event we had earlier in this month. VA Hudson Valley Healthcare System was recently honored as part of the Hudson Valley Renegades Hope Week. And on Thursday, June fifteenth, from eleven a.m. to 1 p.m., several renegades players visited our Castle Point campus to visit with both our inpatient and outpatient veterans, and then invited them to attend the game that night. It was a wonderful event that our veterans truly enjoyed. Now to the exciting news about a pilot program we've launched in partnership with VHA Innovation Ecosystem, Veteran Transportation Program, and Uber Health the VHA Uber Health Connect initiative. One of our main challenges at VA is the fragmentation of transportation. It's a significant barrier to healthcare access for our veterans, but we're actively addressing this problem by providing a new supplemental transportation option to our veterans for their medical appointments. This initiative ensures that our veterans do not need to pay for their Uber ride or tip the driver. This way, we make the travel to and from the VA medical centers as easy and cost-effective as possible. How will our veterans know which vehicle is their Uber ride? It's simple. Our transportation coordinator will share essential details like the license plate number, make, model, and color of the car. One significant aspect of this program is the communication process. Our veterans will receive a phone call when their ride is booked and when their Uber driver is arriving. These calls may come from a 1-800 number and might show up as a spam on some cell phones, but don't worry, it's us and we're confirming the details of the transportation. This initiative is part of the Beneficiary Travel Program. Under this program, ride-sharing services like Uber join the ranks of bus, train, taxi, and airplane modes of transportation that are covered. What makes this service stand out is Uber Health's HIPAA-compliant ride-sourcing platform. This platform allows clinics and VA medical centers to book rides directly for patients from a centralized dashboard. The best part? Patients can track their ride via text message or phone call, providing them with a seamless experience. And what's even better is that VA Hudson Valley Healthcare System directly reimburses the transportation cost so our veterans do not have to submit a claim separately. Our ultimate aim is to improve patient experience and increase access to care. I believe this initiative brings us one step closer to achieving this goal. We're excited to see how this program evolves, and we're even more excited to make healthcare access more effortless and more comfortable for our veterans. We've already completed our first Uber ride using this great new platform. So together, let's continue to make strides in delivering the best possible care to our veterans. And thanks so much for the time on the show and to talk about this great new program. Thank you.
0: Veterans are stronger together, don't fight the fight alone. That's the message and the mission of Mental Health America in Dutchess County and the federally funded Staff Sergeant Fox program offering our veterans free assistance and activities such as equine therapy, temporary income support, suicide prevention support, art and music therapy, yoga, and much, much more plus referrals to other MHA veterans programs, providing support to Dutchess and Orange County veterans. And now here is Tyler Mendelson, of that organization to tell us more. Welcome, Tyler Mendelson, of uh, Dutchess County Mental Health America, specifically the Staff Sergeant Fox program. So you're a veteran,
2: so if you
4: briefly fill us in on your service, when and where, and what you did. Yep, so I was in the United States Marine Corps from 2010 to 2017. I was an armory chief, you know, I fixed the guns and maintained them and sent them out on missions. And I was in Okinawa, Japan and Camp Lejeune, North Carolina.
0: Tyler, what was it that uh, caused you to want to go to work for Mental Health America in Dutchess County? specifically the veterans programs.
4: I joined um, MHA back in 2019, and uh, I knew Adam Roche, who used to be the, the head of it. And, you know, I always have gravitated toward veteran issues, especially after getting out. I really just wanted to make a difference in the veteran community, especially because three of my friends who I deployed with committed suicide. And I knew that there had to be positive changes, and the only people who could probably make those changes are veterans themselves. So, you know, I gravitated towards an organization like vet to vet where, you know, it's veterans making that difference, and it's them being there to help, you know, other veterans in need. And, you know, we've had so many different programs here over the years, and Staff Sergeant Fox is our, our new program now, focusing on veteran suicide in general, really was a draw for me. And, you know, I think it's it's an awesome program and it can do a lot of good for the community. So as I understand it, the
2: Staff Sergeant Fox program is a, is a federally funded program whose target is to reduce veteran suicide, which uh, the number we use is 22 a day. How specifically are you doing that? I mean, You're contacted by a caregiver or you're referred by another veteran or a family member that says, hey, Charlie, since he's been out, he's been real quiet. We think there's a problem. Do they walk in off the street?
4: We get veterans in a multitude of ways, uh, whether they self-refer themselves, whether it's a family referral, a friend referral at different veteran events. We might come across a veteran or someone might bring them up. Or another program might refer someone, and we'll reach out. And yeah, the program itself, the goal is to reduce the number of veteran suicides. The number of veteran suicides since the last VA investigation was, I believe, 17, not including currently active duty or uh, National Guard. So we think it's around 22 if you include them. So. The program basically aims to reduce the number of veteran suicides, and it does that through a number of different ways. You know, it's just activities that are very therapeutic, like equine therapy, art and music therapy. Um, we also really try to help the veteran with any kind of struggles they might be having with the VA, because that's you know a very common problem veterans face with you know getting their claims in or getting various referrals from uh, two different doctors at the VA. So we sort of bridge that gap between the veteran and the VA and try to step in where we can and help out to make sure that their needs are met. What are some of the
2: key causes or drivers that would cause a veteran to lose hope and start to spiral out of
4: control? You know, there's a multitude of factors, and obviously it's different for everybody. But just from my years of experience working with veterans and myself being a veteran and my own struggles, I would say things that sort of seem to be a common trend are, you know, somebody goes in the military and they have no idea what they're going to do afterwards. And they get out and after years of being told what to do and exactly when to do it and how to do it, they're suddenly plopped back into society with little to no direction. The, the, Military does not provide them with any kind of guidance on what to do afterwards. They're kind of just given a basic course of how to function back in society and then, you know, they send them off. So people come back and they're suddenly back by their families and their friends and they're just out in the world and life slows down. And if somebody doesn't have any kind of life direction or plan or goals, then they kind of lose a sense of purpose, I think. I think it's important for veterans to find a self-purpose. It's it's what drives us and motivates us every day to get up out of bed and do stuff and achieve our goals. And if we don't have any of that, then it can lead down a dark path. And then you couple that with money problems or drug and alcohol problems. You know, we face various addictions, but also they might be getting a lot of medications that put them on some kind of addiction. So there's all these problems that are basically thrust on the veterans upon getting out. And it's programs like ours that really try to sit with the veteran and give them a life plan and give them some tools that they can use to sort of improve their lives. It ends up coming back with a reduced number of suicides. You know, one is too many. So We're trying little by little to help out the community.
2: How long has the Staff Sergeant Fox program been in
4: existence? As far as I know, it's a fairly new program. We've only had it since early this year. It is a federal grant, but it is pretty recent as far as its inception. It was named after Parker Gordon Fox, a Staff Sergeant from the Army, who, after his deployment, came back and ended up committing suicide So we're trying to honor him and veterans like him who have, you know, struggled with their lives and taken them. We're trying to turn it into a positive and change the lives of other veterans.
2: So this is a a nationwide program?
4: Yeah, it's it's a federal grant.
2: Okay, so how do they quantify the results?
4: Our specialists have reporting features that, you know, they have to input various things about the veteran while still remaining confidential and not displaying their information. They have to document everything, and it all goes into a kind of national database that the grant providers calculate and turn into data that will then show the kind of positive feedback that we're getting from the program.
2: Do you guys share that data with other organizations collectively that uh, might help, you know, one or the other or all of you improve?
4: Yeah, I mean, on a small, you know, person to person level at these kind of organizations, we give, you know, basic tips on like what we can all do to improve. But on a, a national level, all these federal programs work within the federal government when you know these these kind of grants come up and they look at what sort of statistics work and do that for future grant opportunities
2: now once you've worked with a vet and you've been with that vet for a period of time you've worked through issues that they have you've turned him or her around so to speak you see a market improvement in attitude. Maybe they um, have have gotten a job that they like, or developed an interest in, well, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. equine therapy or something like that. Yeah. That is giving them more of a purpose. They're starting to reintegrate. At what point do you do you say, okay, you're cured. See you later. Or isn't it that
4: simple? Oh no. I mean, you know, we we look at every case-by-case basis, and we're around as long as the veteran needs us. You know, we follow up repeatedly with those who are in the program, and it's kind of an as-need basis for the veteran. You know, we work with their wants and their needs, and we're just there to provide and support them as long as they need us. So what kind of training
2: did you or others work in this capacity have to take Are you licensed mental health professionals or is it a layman type training? How does it work?
4: We're strictly non-clinical. You know, we don't have any kind of therapy or social work experience. We try to stay away from that, especially like with, you know, those who work with us because these kind of things work in the way that they do because we're non-clinical. People kind of especially veterans, tend to stray away from the clinical side. You know, they're, they're very untrusting of the kind of big pharma, you know, push pills on people kind of thing. So we really have kind of like more therapeutic training within like mental health first aid, for example. We have learned various tools of the trade to provide therapy without actually being therapy.
2: I would imagine that you developed then a network of professionals that you work with, that that you trust and that you know are are good at what they do, that you would work with them and and kind of get get a referral in or or work that into seeing them if they need something that you can't offer.
4: Yeah, absolutely. We have we have a long list of networks just between you know however many number of programs we've had here over the years. We know so many different veteran organizations that we work with on the day to day. And, you know, if if we can't help with something, we know who to refer someone to and vice versa. Like a lot of organizations, I mean, even the VA comes to us with referrals for veterans because they're not able to assist with specific issues. So we kind of all work together as a network and it's very effective. It's been very informative to speak with you as
2: it always is to speak with folks who work for the myriad of NGOs throughout the country and especially in the Hudson Valley. And I appreciate your time. If somebody wants to get in touch with, with you guys and, and learn more about how you can help. What's the website they should go to? What's the phone
4: number? MHA And then you could do uh, backslash veterans programs. Or you could just go to mhaduchess.org website, and you could just click on the, the Veterans page, and it'll pull right up. Or you can give us a call at 845-473-2500, extension 1306. How about an email? Or you could reach out to carryon C-A-R-R-I-O-N, at mhaduchess.org. Or you could find us on Facebook at MHA Duchess Vet2Vet.
2: And I noticed in reading some of the stuff that uh, I'm preparing to talk to you, that you guys also serve as vets in Orange County.
4: Yes, we do. So the Staff Sergeant Fox program specifically is uh, Dutchess and Orange County. So we're able to help any Dutchess or Orange veteran who is in need. Feel free to give us a call and we can set up a time that we could either come meet you or you can come to our office.
2: Okay, how about folks in Sullivan County?
4: So our program doesn't really work within Sullivan, but, you know, they could definitely reach out to us and we can refer out to them from elsewhere.
2: Okay, starting place would probably be vet to vet right? Yes. Okay, again, Tyler, thank you for your time. Thanks for joining us on Radio Catskills. Let's talk Vets.
4: No problem. Thanks for having me.
0: it's that time again to look at some upcoming events for Hudson Valley Veterans. The Kingston VA would like you to join them for their first annual 5th of July celebration from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. at 101 South Hill Boulevard in Kingston. They would tell you that you served us, now let us serve you. In addition, they can be there to sign you up with benefits that You deserve and have earned, so join them for free lunch, beverages, hot dogs, and a great big thank you for your service. The first inaugural America the Beautiful Festival, the Sound of Liberty, is presented by Epoch Times and New Century on Saturday and Sunday, July 1st and 2nd, from noon to 9 p.m. The festival is a celebration of America's Independence Day and beautiful heritage, and they'll be honoring the servicemen and women who have continued to serve this great land and protect our freedoms. The two-day all-star lineup includes Keith Anderson, Grammy-nominated country artist who has multiple top ten hits, Myers and Moore featuring Zach Myers of Shinedown and J.R. Moore of Ingram Hill. Julie Roberts, ACM-nominated Top New Artist, performing Breakdown Here. Danny Greco, Billboard Top 10 Recording Artist, performing 22. Cold Weather Company, presenting New Jersey bands you need to hear. Bo Davidson, Emmy-nominated singer and actor. Mika Hale, power vocalist known for iconic renditions of the National Anthem power pop, alternative rock duo from Memphis, Tennessee, Liquid Paper Boys, and Any Night Ramblers, featuring folk pop, light rock, and they're from Orange County, New York. Additional highlights include largest fireworks display in Deer Park, New York. there will be a color guard honoring our veterans. There'll be historical Revolutionary War reenactments supporting local businesses, there will be a kid's playground and games and barbecue, burgers, beer, and more. What else could you want? Free for veterans, active military, and kids under 12. Their hope is that many veterans and military members can attend so they understand how deeply they're appreciated for their service to our great land. For a complimentary one-day passes for veterans, military, and their families, please contact contact at newcenturyfestivals.com. For more information, visit americathebeautifulfestival.com. They also have a few vendor slots available. And they hope you can join this historic event uniting Americans from all walks of life in celebration of America's birthday. All this and more at 517 Never Sync Drive, Port Jervis. This comes from James H. White, who can be reached at 845 2827 Well, our friend Mark Kozopoli, director of Ulster County Veterans Service Office, wants you to know about some luncheons planned for the Hudson Valley Veterans Community. A veterans luncheon sponsored by the Plattekill Veterans Committee and Southern Ulster Rotary Club the uh, address will be the Clintondale Christian Church, 302 Creston Ave, in Highland, New York. Seating is limited, so please RSVP. Please call eight four five three four zero three one nine zero. Seating's limited, and Veteran Service Officers will be on hand to help you with VA outreach. Clear Path for Veterans is providing their mobile canteen on Thursday, June 29th. That's tomorrow, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Lamoree Hackett American Legion Post 72, located at 30 John Street in Saugerties. The complimentary luncheon open to veterans, military members, and their families. For more information, contact our friend Peter Meriday at Clear Path for Veterans. He happens to be the Hudson Valley Regional Manager. He can be reached at 315-687-3300 or emailed at peter at clearpathforvets, one word, dot com. Kingston VA would like you to join them for their first annual 5th of July event, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. at 101 Frank Sotil Boulevard in Kingston, You're invited to join them for lunch, free beverages, hot dogs, and a great big thank you for your service. Blue Star Families invites tri-state Blue Star Family supporters to participate in their 2023 Military Family Lifestyle Survey. Blue Star Families appreciates your support thus far and hopes you can continue to take the survey yourself, help promote it in your community, and recognize that this survey is what helps Blue Star Families advocate for change to make military service for our communities better. Take the survey at bluestarfam.org slash survey. For more information, you can contact Andy Coakley, Tri-State Program Director, Blue Star Families Staff, New York City, at 207-650-7533. You can also check them out at bluestarfam.org. Our thanks tonight to Eugene Parada, Director, Purple Hard Homes, New York, Downstate Operations, our friend Don Shaw, Director, Hudson Valley VA Healthcare System, and Tyler Mendelssohn, Mental Health Association, Dutchess County Veterans Programs. And of course to you for joining us once again. Please let your friends know about this program and share with us your comments and suggestions for future shows. Also, send us your upcoming events so we may talk about them on the air. On our new time slot, which will be 10 a.m. on Wednesday, starting in September, on Radio Chatskill. You can still drop me a line at vets at wjffradio.org. And if you or someone you know is experiencing anxiety or needs to talk to someone, here's some numbers to remember. The Veterans Crisis Line is 988, press 1 to talk to someone. Send a text message to 838-255 to connect with a VA responder, or you can start a confidential online chat session at veteranscrisisline.net/chat. Well, until our next formation or Wednesday mornings in September, Thanks for your loyalty, thanks for listening, and thank you for your service. Company dismissed.
1: We're staying at a little bit like right outside of the uh, actual basic training. That won't start till Wednesday. And that's if I get everything done in time. And I'll head out there, be there for nine weeks.
5: Uncle Sam, he's in your hands, but he used to be my little boy i never prayed like i did the day he announced that he was gonna be yours i sent him to church to learn god's will you sent him to camp where he learned how to kill in the name of peace by a show of arms hope we're not crossing wires they're raising that boy You hold my heart in army green Growing him strong like a big oak tree In the name of honor, in the name of pride My boy has pledged to lay down his life Oh, but I'm not God who gave his only son No, I'm just a mother of a son with a gun I taught keeping the peace by a show of love I said, don't fight with your brother, boy, give him a hug The keeper of peace, I trust in you, Lord I just don't understand what all the fighting is for I pray, Jesus, save us with your army of war that's a prayer from a mother of a son with a gun. And the soldier's creed says engage and destroy. But every soldier is still a mother, mother's boy. So we hand you two hearts when we hand you a son. So pray for a mother, a son with a gun. Uncle Sam, he's in your hands, but he used to be my little boy. Take good care of my boy there, cause I love that little son of a gun.
4: This is the last phone call I can use to put my phone or whatever. But uh, yeah, I'm bald and tired. <laughs> but yeah, just know that I love you guys.
2: So